Hello and welcome to the Heaven Bound Podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus. We are opening the Bible in search of fuel for your spiritual journey. This is where we talk about life, the way it was meant to be, and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in the 21st century. Thanks for joining us on the journey today. We are in the back half of the month of April, and we have been talking Fools. This particular Friday series kicked off on April 1st, April Fool's Day. And so we've been spending the entire month looking at how the Bible approaches this subject. We started with the fool who says there is no God. In part two of this series, we went back and we surveyed in the book of Proverbs what makes a fool a fool. This past Friday, we explored this dynamic of when to answer a fool and when to keep silent. Today, Roger, we want to talk about a very specific rich fool. Absolutely. This this comes from one of the Lord's parables. It's found in Luke chapter 12. And it's just packed full of all kinds of things we want to share with you today. Luke chapter 12, we're going to begin in verse 16. Let me read the story. Then we'll talk a little bit about the background, and then we're going to just peel the layers here as we, again, look at another concept of this idea of a fool. Luke, Luke 12, begin verse 16. And he told them a parable. It's talking about Jesus. He told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I do not, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grains and my goods. I will say to my soul, So you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool! This very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And as we've been saying in this series here, that the word fool is probably the strongest word God ever uses in condemnation of somebody. And so here in this story, as Jesus is telling us, God would call this rich farmer a fool because he was not rich toward God. We're going to talk about lots of things in this. Yeah, we started in in part one of this series noticing that at times uh, those in the world may view Christians as fools. And we'll talk a little bit more about that, Lord willing, next Friday. But you might remember that we emphasized in episode one, if God calls me a fool... That's serious. And that's exactly what's being pictured here. Now, the question is why? And like you said, we'll talk a little bit about the parable in just a moment. A lot of times in order to get the full scope or the brunt of a parable, it's helpful if we can figure out why Jesus said what he said. And this is one of those where the gospel writer, in this case, Luke, provides a really valuable bit of context. Up in verse 13 of Luke chapter 12, Luke tells us, someone in the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, teacher, 
tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, even to understand why Jesus says what he says next, maybe it's valuable even to look a little before this. Jesus is talking about the importance of acknowledging him before others. Uh, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, he says in verse 8, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God, but the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. You get a sense as to what Jesus is talking about. We have this crowd all around him, and while Jesus is on one wavelength talking about something really important, Luke just tells us, okay, somebody in the crowd raises his hand and and says, teacher, I need you to intervene in this family squabble. My brother doesn't want to divide the inheritance with me. Now, let me jump in here and say a couple things, too, yeah. before we go on. And, you know, the last verse, verse 12, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. All through this section here, Jesus is not saying anything about money. Not one thing. This guy, <laughs> This guy is not paying attention. This guy has one thought on his mind. He, he's there where Jesus is. He's in this crowd. But what's running through his mind is, I've been cheated by my family, and I want this to be made right. So he brings up a family problem before the crowd. Everyone is going to hear this. And in essence, he interrupts Jesus. And he doesn't say, Jesus, can you go talk to my brother? Jesus, will you help me here? He says, teacher, tell my brother. Yeah, You don't tell Jesus to tell anybody. Jesus is God. And he's wanting Jesus to go straighten out his brother. Now, in this guy's mind, Jesus is going to go tell his brother, you need to be more generous. You need to share more. And so he's thinking he's going to pull Jesus into his side, and everything's going to work out just right. Ultimately, it seems like to me he's wanting to use Jesus for his own selfish purposes. Absolutely. And Jesus, who knows hearts, turns around, asks him in verse 14, who made me a judge? or arbitrator over you. Now, we know that there is a sense in which, of course, Jesus is ultimately going to be our judge, but not in the sense of family inheritance squabbles, right? Well, That's well, not why he's here. And and in this setting, Jesus was a rabbi or a teacher. He was not a legal judge on earth. Yeah. He, couldn't, he didn't have the authority to settle civil matters. Now, had this man got Jesus off track, had he got him detoured away from this, everybody who had a property issue, everybody had a little dispute, your dog bit my sister, <laughs> and so all this stuff is going to be crowded to Jesus, and pretty soon he, his whole mission is, is hijacked, and he becomes earthbound with solving all these civil issues. That's not my role. Who appointed me, Jesus? said, I'm not a civil judge. There's somebody to do that, but it's not me. Yeah, and then he gives him a warning, right? And the crowd undoubtedly can hear this. Jesus, in verse 15, says, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions, and he told them a 
parable, and that is our parable of the day. And I expect that guy hung his head thinking, <laughs> this did not work out the way I planned this. I thought I would I would kind of shout out to Jesus here. I'm going to get some more money out of this deal. And what Jesus did is he revealed that you're greedy and your heart's not right. And the whole thing turned against him. All right. So at the heart of everything going on here leading into the parable, it sure does seem like this principle is at the core. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. How does this parable help us understand that valuable point? Here was a farmer who had an abundance. Uh, It starts off by telling us that he was the land of a rich farmer was very productive. So not only was he a farmer, he was a wealthy farmer. He had done well. Uh, I know a lot of farmers through my life, and they've been poor. I know a lot of a lot of land that is not very productive. But this guy had it all together in that way. And as as we have read this parable, the running pronoun through all this parana, uh, this parable is himself. I, I, I. All he talks about is himself. And so when Jesus is setting forth the principle that our life does not consist of possessions, here's a man who illustrates just the opposite. He had all kinds of possessions. He had so much, he was going to tear down his barns and build larger barns because he had so many possessions. And that, again, kind of shows us. Now, this man, there are some good characteristics about him. He's a good farmer. Uh, he's successful as a farmer. We see that he's thinking ahead. You know, some people just live day to day and they don't even think about tomorrow. This guy's thinking about the future. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build larger barns. And then I'm going to retire. I'm going to sit back and take it easy. Now, every farmer I know doesn't do that. <laughs> I mean, most farmers I know, they're working, even in the wintertime, they're doing something. They're, they're busy people. Well, not this guy. He's anticipating kicking back and just enjoying life and no longer going to have to work. And all this is premised upon his idea that I'm going to just store up all these crops and I'm going to have it made. All right. So we know this man, during his time on earth, he does well for himself. The land is producing plentifully. He has garnered, harvested so much that he's got to tear down existing barns and build larger ones. And the the real rub, if you will, seems to be in verse 19, where I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. And the next words from God are fool. Now, why? What is it? Uh, it's uh, He's been prosperous. He hasn't uh, had to depend on others to take care of him. He, he undoubtedly has built just a tremendous amount to be able maybe to pass on to future generations. Why in the world does God refer to him as a fool? It's interesting how verse 19 is worded. I will say to my soul. You know, most of us would say, I've never talked to my soul, you know, but, but that's kind of, he's talking to himself and he, he's anticipating having many 
more years. I'm going to lay this up for many more years. The idea is I'm planning to live many more years. Now realizing each day is a gift by God. Each day we're not guaranteed. And he gave no thought to that. What the contrast is between 19 and 20, the man's thinking many years in advance, and God says, tonight you die. This very night, your soul is required of you. What God is saying is, I'm not going to give you tomorrow. I'm not going to give you a week to think about this. I'm not going to give you a month to change your ways. It's all over tonight. And that's why God called him a fool. That is, uh, uh, of course, a sobering thing to read in the context of a parable, but it's exactly what, for instance, James. In James chapter 4, he is calling all of us to realize, and if we don't, we are acting foolishly. He says in James 4 verse 13, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. To to act as if that's not true, that's foolish. Uh, To act as if I know what's going to happen without any reference whatsoever, respect given to God, it is foolish. That's why James says in verse 15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. There's no hint of that man in Luke chapter 12 thinking like that, saying anything along those lines. And so the parable ends in 21 where the Lord says, so is the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. And, you know, what a contrast that is to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount by laying up treasures in heaven. This man laid up treasures on earth, but nothing in heaven. So what what would you say is missing here? I mean, how, how could this story have been different? You know, it, it strikes me as, as Luke's gospel continues, this is that section of Je- Jesus' teaching where he talks about not being anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. And it's not that I I never give thought to food or never give thought to where I'm going to stay, but I think the key is there in verse 23, life is more than food and the body more than clothing. That, That ought to prompt within us a question of, okay, well, if life is about more than what I eat and more than what I wear and where I live, what is life really to be all about? If I'm going to use and manage life wisely, if I'm going to be a good steward of this life, what's that going to look like? And if we just keep reading, Jesus leads us to that conclusion in Luke twelve thirty one. Seek God's kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. The fundamental problem was not the fact that this man was a farmer. The problem is not that he was a good farmer, a a successful farmer. The problem was not that the land produced 
plentifully. The problem is he didn't realize life is more. He didn't seek first God's kingdom. He built his own kingdom that he was really proud of without submitting to himself to the king of all. And and what's missing from his language when he's talking to himself is, if God allows me, Yeah. what's missing is thankfulness. Uh, It's God who sends the rain. It's God who sends the sunshine. It's God who makes the ground fertile. It's God who produces the crops. And no thankfulness. God has been good to me. No idea that, you know, I've gotten so much. I'm going to share with my neighbors. I'm going to help other people. None of that trickles through this. No reflection upon his life, thinking that, you know, maybe I started off as a poor farmer, but look where I've gotten, and it's by the grace of God that I'm here, and I'm going to help other people. None of that comes through this. All it is is about it's all mine. I did it all myself, and I'm not going to give it to anyone else. And all of that was a false idea. He hadn't done it by himself. Without God blessing him, he would have had none of those things. And so God calls him a fool because he's forgotten God. You know, Roger, it strikes me that we began in this series with the fool who says there is no God. We heard that in Psalm 14, verse 1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And maybe as I'm first turning that phrase over in my mind, I think, well, you know, I've never said that with my physical mouth. In fact, I'm not sure I've ever talked to someone maybe who would say that with their mouth. There is no God, but you don't have to say that with your mouth in order to be guilty of the exact same pitfall. Yeah, this farmer in Luke 12, I don't think he belonged to the National Atheistic Society. (laughs) I don't think he was a charter member or paid dues to Atheism Shall Live. Uh, I don't think he burned Bibles. I don't think, you know, none of that stuff comes in there. But by the way he lived, he lived as if there was no God. And that's exactly what Psalms 14 is saying. A person doesn't have to say those words. Their choices illustrate. And so Luke 12 is a living illustration of Psalms 14. Here is a person who does not even acknowledge God. Now, we look in our times today. We look all about us, people up early today, going to work, doing all these things that they're doing. We're making money. We're buying. We're shopping. We're planning vacation, houses, all this stuff. And have we forgotten God in all this? Sometimes we can be living as practical atheists, even though we never would admit that. That's the story of Luke chapter 12. Here was a man who had every reason to fall to his knees and be thankful to God. God has done so much. He's blessed me so much. I'm going to be a blessing to others. I'm going to be thankful to God. I'm going to help others. I'm going to be one who is giving to the temple. I'm going to be one who's just doing what I can. But rather than all that, it's mine. I'm keeping it to myself. I have done this. And he's just leaving God completely out of his life. Life is more. 
I don't know about you, but I I needed that reminder. And as we head into the weekend, we would encourage you to remember that reminder. Life is more than food. Life is more than clothing. Life is more than building barns and then bigger barns and living it up while we're here. Life is more than ourselves. Life is even more than our brief time on this side of death. This man didn't realize that. He didn't live like that. And he falls squarely in our Fools of April series. Roger, we've got one more, Lord willing, one week from today uh, that will wrap this five-part series up. But I appreciate you joining me today, and we appreciate all of you for listening to the Heaven Bound podcast. We hope our conversation has helped you set your mind on things above and given you a little more fuel for the journey. Always remember, when you're walking with Jesus, you're heaven bound, and the best is yet to come.